Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Well, we've got a, a, a difficult message to walk through. How many know reconciliation, the theme of our series going through 2 Corinthians? The theme of the reconciliation, the theme here of this passage, how many know it's not easy to reconcile something? How many know there's pain involved? There is pain, absolutely there is pain involved with that. And so we've reached this point in the study where, of course we're rolling with this alliteration. You know, week one we talked about the facts that Paul kind of uh, throws out there in, in chapter one and he sets the stage, lays the foundation. And then uh, from the facts we talk about forgiveness. You know, how forgiveness is absolutely necessary. It's there, it's right there in the text. From forgiveness we went to, uh, what, before I move on from that, uh, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have done that? How many of you have went to that person? If the Holy Spirit, there comes my, uh, my sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin from McDonald's. He wants to join us. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> how many of you think back to that message on forgiveness and the Lord laid someone on your heart? Have you fixed it? Have you sought forgiveness? Have you given that forgiveness? Don't leave that until it's fixed, until it's done. Last week we talked about forward thinking. Uh, the idea of the law corrupting, the old you corrupting the new you, the new creation you that the Lord wants to have with you and in your life. Um, and we, we talked about that. Of course, in this context of the church, you have Judaizers. You have people that uh, basically had the old system of the law and they were trying to enforce that or impose that on others uh, that were there in this church. And Paul's like, that's not the answer. You're missing the point. And if Moses is shining... Uh, with the law that condemns, how much more should we as Christians letting our, be letting our light so shine among men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father who is in us? Uh, so that's forward thinking. That was last week. Uh, and then this week, sticking with the, the letters F here, fatigue. We're going to talk about fatigue today. Uh, and that is a word that we're going to encompass all suffering. We're going to talk about suffering. We're gonna talk about the difficult things that we go through in life. How many of you have struggled as believers, as Christians, with this idea of bad things happening in your life? Bad things, here's the statement everybody always says, bad things happening to who? Good people. Boy, if we've heard it once, we've heard it a thousand times. And of course, we can debunk that quickly by saying Romans 5.12, there's no such thing as good what? <laughs> there's no such thing as good people. We're all sinners, we're all living in a fallen world. Uh, but instead of just debunking or saying, oh, that's false, here's the scripture, like we need to do some work here. We, we need to get into this. We need to wade into the turbulent, difficult waters, and we need to learn how to swim in it. That's right. We need to learn how to be uncomfortable. I had an illustration come to mind just right now, and Dana probably knows what I'm going to say, but I, I started this journey, right? I'm two weeks in. I'm two weeks into going to this Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. And what I'm learning quickly is that they're teaching you how to be comfortable in uncomfortable 
situations, in uncomfortable situations, incomfortable. I just made up a word right there. See that? You, you go in this scenario of this fight and you end up on the bottom. And you end up twisted and you end up held and you end up constricted. Week one, I pretty much hyperventilated. I didn't want to tell anybody, but I was like, <laughs> I was like trying to like expand my chest so that I could have room to like get a quick breath. But I just wasn't used to the uncomfortability. I wasn't used to being put in those situations. I run from those situations. Really, that's what I would do. I would run. <laughs> But they put you in those situations and really it's about the suffering and feeling and the pressure, right? So that you can understand how to walk through that when you need to. It's actually so applicable. I'm learning so much from jujitsu as it's applicable to real life. But see, running from it, running away from it just means you're delaying the inevitable. It just means that when it catches you by yourself and you're faced with it, you're not going to defeat it. It's going to defeat you. And so when we find ourselves in these uncomfortable positions and we run instead of get help, instead of ask, how do, I, how do I work through this? How do I process this pain? How do I process these moments? How do I live and work through them? Then Jesus gets the glory. But we, we run. We abandon. And, and when it comes to reconciliation, we can't do that. We gotta roll up our shirt sleeves and know how to deal with the fatigue, the suffering of life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. Uh, first, I'm gonna take a drink of this coffee. That is hot. Uh, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump in. Look, just by show of hands, how many, how many know that life is hard? Okay, what I'm gonna say today is very applicable. There's gonna be a tendency, I'm just telling you, because I've already done this once today, there's gonna to be a tendency for you to disengage about halfway to three quarter of the way through this message because I'm gonna read a ton of scripture. And you're gonna be like, ugh, death by reading. Fight the urge, do you hear me? Fight the urge, stay engaged. What we're gonna read, they're words of life. They're words of life, if you will receive them. Father, I pray now your spirit over us behind us, around us, surround us, within us. Father, I pray that you would speak life. We are a world that suffers, that struggles, and you know that. You are nigh unto the brokenhearted. You are here in this moment with us. You don't abandon us in those tough moments. You're not afraid of hard questions. You handled them. You dealt with them. You defeated them. And Father, I, I just really believe that you have a church here that can operate in victory, even going through the hardest of times. Father, I pray that you would meet with us, instruct us, teach us. Show us the things that we need to see. Give us eyes to see. And give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying this morning. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Let's dive in. If you have the program, follow along. If you have your Bibles, Job chapter 14. I'm sorry, I think it's Job chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, anyone born of woman is short of days and full of trouble. Anyone born of woman is short of days and full of trouble. Is it the woman part or is it just the, the life part? I don't know. I'll let you make up your minds about that. Just kidding. All of you ladies are like glaring at me. Uh, born of woman, short of days, full of trouble. We, we're going to die 
and we're going to have a lot of bad things happen to us. And consider the source, Job. Was there anyone in scripture that was better suited to make that claim that if you're born of woman, life is short and hard? No, he, he lost it all. He lost it all. We, we have this problem. We have this issue in our churches. It's called the prosperity gospel. We think that we come in here to get everything that we wanted and that we didn't get out there. We think that we come to church like a Coke machine and we put in our spiritual dollars and the Lord gives us what we want and what we need and what will make us happy. It couldn't be anything further from the truth. If anything in here gives us context how to go through that and we get sent back out. You feel me? So, so Job says, look, if you're born of woman, a few days, a lot of trouble. And we have context for this. If you're listening back through all of the messages uh, in this series, you know that we're born into this world a sinner. You know that we're born into this life broken and fallen, and Paul is going to speak to that. Now, today, it's not just about going to chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians. I, I took out every passage in 2 Corinthians. Not Well, not every. It's not completely exhaustive. But I took out the passages that are talking about suffering. So we're going to go chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 11. And all of that will be packed into today because it's specifically about suffering. But we're also going to grab a few from a, a few other places. Book of Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. The same author that wrote 2 Corinthians wrote what I'm about to read. On the contrary, this is pretty direct here. On the contrary, who are you? A human being to talk back to God. Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make it like this? Why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay? To make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and the other for dishonor? Verse 22. And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory? On us, the ones who he also called, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Paul is saying, the, I think the key here is, what if? Don't take this and develop an entire theological structure on it. He's saying, what if this happened? But he's saying it in light of this word that if you have never been introduced to it, it will change your life. God is sovereign. Like if there was a king that sat on a throne, he would send out a what? A decree, and that decree would, would then go out, and that decree would then be lived out according to the word of the who? The king, not the word of the peasants. Who is the clay to say to the potter what he is supposed to make? Now, I'm not going on the extreme end of this. I think there is an extreme thought process that says that God literally created some people for dishonor. Uh, and I'm probably somewhere in between that and what maybe a Norman Geisler apologist would say that God knew who, who would, uh, God knew what they would choose. God knew that someone would choose uh, death and not life. I don't know that I'm there, but I'm probably somewhere in between. Somewhere between Jesus and John Wayne. Somewhere in there, somewhere in the middle. Uh, but the point, you guys are like already. I had to pause there for some, uh, 
This is theology class 101. Not, not, not really, but the point is, is God is sovereign. So if you can picture, Paul is like using this illustration. How It's like literally the potter goes and pulls out the clay from the refrigerator or wherever they keep it back then. <laughs> and they set it on the potter wheel and they put the potter... Uh, they put the clay on the potter's wheel and the clay looks up and has the little, you know, the cartoons where like the orange talks. This is like the clay has a mouth. And you like, you're looking at the clay and the clay is like, no, I don't want to be a plate today. I want to be a bowl. Why does, why does the pottery sound like Donald Trump? I don't know. But anyway, uh, I want to I be a bowl. And it's like, what, what, what are you telling me? What you, no, don't touch me there. Touch me over here. I'm the clay. I'll be made what I want to be made to. That is our society, and you think I'm playing. Our society is full of people that look at God and say, no, I'm my own person. I'll be who I want to be. You're not going to tell me. You're not going to make me into that. If I want to be this, I'll be that. Or they. Or fill it in. I don't know. Whatever the proper, I don't know. We won't wade into those weeds too much, but... You get what I'm saying? People literally, this is an identity crisis. Why? Because it's the clay telling the potter how it's going to be. The potter chose you for a specific purpose. And in order for you to fulfill that purpose, you must be made into that thing. The thing has to become the thing or else it's not the what? The thing. (laughs) You think I'm playing, but this is... This is literally what we're dealing with in 2021. People don't want to be the thing, or they want to be the thing. (laughs) Thing one, thing two. (laughs) We could go all kinds of directions with that. Listen, here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. You're the clay. You're the clay. He's the potter. Stop talking back. Just be molded. I just don't like where I'm at. Of course you don't like it. He wants you to be a cup and you're in the shape of a plate. How are you going to hold liquid? You think I'm that dumb, but I'm serious. Some of y'all are not ready for the purpose that he has for you. And you got to go through some molding. You got to go through some shaping and some shifting. You have to have the proper mindset because if you're a plate, you can't drink out of it. I just don't get it. I don't know what my purpose is. You're the clay. He's the potter. You're whining and crying about what you can't do. And you're whining and crying about the things being done to you. Maybe if you would just go with the flow, you'd be able to handle it in a year or two years because the potter's got work to do. That's what Paul is trying to say. Let's continue here. Or the potter... Does he have ride over the clay to make the same lump, one honor, dishonor, blah, blah, blah? I read the whole thing, sorry. You get the, you get the idea. Look at, now we're into our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go there, and we're going to start there, and we're going to work our way through. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to drop down to, I think, verse 6. Yeah, 7. Here's verse number 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, I underline this, don't miss this. Because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Man, I'm going to really struggle with time today because there's a lot of things to be preached in here. 
Therefore, I'm going to say it again. Since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God and everyone's conscience by an open display of truth. Paul is saying, because you received the gospel, you can't quit. You can't quit, but I'm suffering, but I'm tired, but I'm going through some stuff. I know, I know, and it's going to get worse. For real? Yes, it's going to get worse. But before Paul ever gets into his own testimony or tells you why you suffer, he first says, understand this, you cannot quit. You can't not show up. You can't not go back because you've been given mercy. You can't unsee what we've seen. You can't unsee. You can't give it back. You've been given the gospel. You've seen him high and lifted up. You've seen him suffer every point for you. Therefore, you cannot abandon your suffering. We can't unsee it. It's the gospel. We cannot quit. Some of you are close to quitting. One more hardship, one more bad relationship, one more straw, and the camel's back is broken. You cannot quit. You can't. Go to verse 7, same chapter, 4. Now we have this treasure. <laughs> now we, I'm telling you, like this is like overflow from Maverick City. You know what I'm saying. About to take a lap, shoot. I wanted to be in that choir so bad, Steve. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to be in that choir. I would have made a huge scene if I was in that choir. I would have made a big scene. It would have been not, not good. Mm. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. Paul is pulling from what he already talked about in the book of Romans. Do you see this? He does this the whole time. I love it. Now we have this treasure, and it's also an Isaiah reference, by the way, but we don't have time for that. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. That is so good. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I underlined every but not in this passage. Some of y'all that need encouragement need to underline every but not in this. What's the point? The point is, is that you are a jar of clay. It's like that old Brian Regan thing. You're a cup of dirt. You're a jar of clay. What does this mean? It means that you are broken. You have issues. Your physical body is going to go through some stuff. And when it goes through it, you're going to feel it. Every ounce of it. But God. But because the spirit of God has come and indwelled you, your little clay jar has power. Your little clay jar, when it gets a hole in it, something comes through, and it's the Holy Ghost. Son. See, you can't quit because you got the Holy Ghost. You can't quit because when you're battered and broken, your purpose becomes revealed. Mm. You can't miss it. You're quitting. You're, you're saying, God, no, take me off the potter's wheel. And he said, I'm just getting started. When life comes and beats you, what you don't understand is it's not about your vessel. It's not about your physical jar of clay. It's about what's on the inside. <laughs> oh, we're just getting started. Y'all going to be here till 1 o'clock today. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That, <laughs> it says 1256. I haven't reset it. 
Oh, man, my goodness. It's extraordinary power. We are afflicted. Oh, my goodness, here it is. We're afflicted. Look at verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Oh, my goodness. It's like that Marvel character, right? That literally just gets shot and wounded and they heal. It's like Wolverine. It's like all these characters, these comic books, like they were almost something supernatural that they were tapping into. That's what the Lord is saying. He's like, the devil wants to completely annihilate and crush you, but you'll always come back. You're, you're per- look at it. <laughs> My goodness, you're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. It doesn't matter how bad your clay jar gets, it's not the end. Oh my goodness. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Look at verse nine. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, we always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. When we we push away suffering, we are pushing away Jesus. Huh? Yes. By his stripes, we are healed. You, now, Jesus didn't come down here as God and defeat death, hell, and the grave. What did he do? He came down here and he put on what? Human flesh. Why did he do that? Because he had to mortally, mortally defeat the very enemy that we have that attacks us mortally. Therefore, for the incorruptible to have power over the corruptible. We don't have a God, once again, I said this last week, I'm gonna say it again. We don't have a God that's set in his ivory tower and says, okay, pain, okay, suffering, okay, this. No. One aspect of God is that he is sovereign over all of creation, but we have a triune God. So therefore, when God the Father sits on his throne and decrees bad things to happen because of sinful people, God in heaven is just. It is who he is. He is good, and God is good. He cannot cease to be anything but good. Therefore, when evil comes into his presence, it is annihilated. We can, some of y'all are like, sin and God cannot coexist. The Father decrees that. So instead of annihilating everyone on this planet, he took his son. And Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of of men and being found in fashion as a man, Philippians says. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of who? Every knee will bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father sits in heaven as the potter. He has to decree you condemned because of your sin. But instead of killing you and crushing you, he crushed his son. We cannot fathom that. I cannot fathom giving my son for you. If it were between you and my son, you would be dead. I'm sorry. It it is what it is. I'm not God. I don't have that love of God in my mortal body. He has given that to me to live out. It is not of me. If that happened, it would be of him. Same circumstances with Abraham and Isaac. 
He's trying to show you something. He did what you could not do. And the point is, is that when we suffer, when our clay jar gets chipped and when it gets hurt and when it gets broken and when we are broken and when we endure things, that, that is when we are closest to Jesus. That is when we can understand the cross. Paul said, the power of his resurrection, but the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We run from suffering. If you run from hurt, you're running from the Savior. You're running from the, this is next, I know this is tier 10, Christianity. This is deep. This is, not, this is like, I'm reconciled to God the Father and whatever I walk through in life, it does not matter. I'm gonna walk through it because I know I'm just a jar of clay and what really matters is the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. Let's keep pushing through this text. Look at verse number 11 in chapter four of 2 Corinthians. For we who live are always being given over, always given over to the death of death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And, and since, verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus, I underline this, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Verse 15, indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for a momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal man I cannot stress this enough I cannot I just my soul yearns for this truth to just be implanted in your hearts I long for you to just receive this our outer person is being destroyed, but your inner, inward man is renewed daily. We are raising our children to be soft. We are raising our children to seek the path of least resistance. And that is a path they will not find Jesus on. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the place where we find his purpose for our life. We're so fixated as doggone Americans on having everything comfortable, everything fast, everything the way I want it, everything paid for. And Jesus says, that's not where I live. I live in the suffering. Your mortal body calls you to death. And, and when you are called to the things of this life, you're getting distracted from your purpose. It, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot you cannot find fulfillment in the things that are outside. You only can find it on things from within. 
Chapter five, verse one through 10, I gotta hurry. Come on now. Chapter five, verse one through 10, read it with me quickly. For we know that our earthly tent we live in. First, it was a jar of what? A clay. Now he's talking about it like a tent. Why is he doing that? A tent is what? Hmm? Yeah, but it's temporary. A house is supposed to be permanent. He calls what we have now a tent. This is something that we pitch up today and is gone what? That's what he's trying to convey. For we know that our earthly, earthly, key word, tent, we live in is destroyed. We have, watch this, a building from God. See the imagery. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in, in the heavens that made, uh, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent. It's spelled out in the scriptures. I just don't know if I can take it. Life is so hard, it's so difficult. That's the point. We groan in these bodies. We encounter loss, we encounter pain, but God. We encounter the crippling pressure of life, but aren't destroyed. We pray for the very thing that the gospel leads us into. We pray to be removed from it. We have a building, an eternal dwelling. Look at verse three. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed so that mortality, so that the mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is who? <laughs> uh, who gave us the spirit as a what? And this is that, that connection with Ephesians. If your eternal building is in heaven, the spirit is what will continue to that dwelling place. The jar of clay will not. I gave you a piece of heaven to carry you through to where you will be eternally. Why are we clinging so difficult to the jar of clay that will become what? Dust. Do you get the imagery in your mind? I want my tent. You got duct tape all over, I want my tent. The biggest question I always get from Christians, what are we gonna look like in heaven? Am I gonna like, you know, I've worked really hard on these abs. <laughs> Can't you see? <laughs> I've chiseled them. I want these there. Can I have these there? <laughs> it, does. it doesn't matter. It does not, absolutely does not matter. And I think in the Mount of Transfiguration, they, they recognized Moses. They recognized Elijah. I think that we're going to know each other. You know, I just hope I get to choose it like a wee figure. All right, God, I want that. <laughs> I want that. How about a little bit of that? <laughs> yeah, boy. Check it. Check it. Look, if we're going to have it for eternity, we might as well get to choose what color pants we got on. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. <laughs> We, we've got to figure this thing out. We've got to get the right optic of what really matters. The tent doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. Keep going. The spirit of God is the down payment. That's why, verse six, so we are always confident and know that while we were home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Some of y'all think you're away here. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Some of y'all think you're home here. You feel me? 
You got the spirit as a down payment that is supposed to connect you to heaven, here as in heaven, on earth, and you grieve the crap out of him. Probably could have said that differently. <laughs> you grieve him to this place where he doesn't even speak to you anymore. Do you know that the Bible says you can quench the Holy Spirit? You can quench the Holy Ghost. That's why I'm up here. I literally, I can't contain myself when I'm worshiping. Even when stuff breaks, I hate that, Josh. I hate it when stuff breaks. It drives me nuts. I heard the bass going out in worship. I'm like, devil, get out of here. That's right. But it's, the point is, is I'm connected somewhere else. It ain't here. But yet we flip the script. And we're so concerned with everything on this side of heaven. And the Lord's like, if you would just quit quenching the spirit of God for one second, you would be overcome. Like, and honestly, I don't mean this in a weird way, but like, I have like a feeling of warmth that I, talk, I was talking to my wife about that. Like when I'm engaged in like worship and scripture and prayer, like I have this like feeling of warmth that just comes over me. And I'm like, oof, it is beyond euphoric. It's beyond this world. And it's like, you feel it that there's purpose within that. And so my point is, is you're never gonna find that until you seek first the kingdom of God. Until you put your jar of clay in perspective, you're missing the down payment of what's next. And what the Lord uses to bring this into focus is suffering. We run from it, and it's what we need. Let's finish here, verse seven. Oh my goodness. We're always confident, verse six, why? For we walk by faith and not by what? Now is it making more sense, church? Is this fitting together? Verse eight, in fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body at home with the Lord. In fact, I would rather be what? There, instead of where? Here. Most Christians, I know that's not your reality. That's a problem. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The reason why we're uncomfortable with going to heaven is because we're living like hell on the earth. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there because I know I'm not living like I'm supposed to for there. The next passage of scripture is Paul's testimony. I got, let's get through this real quick. Go to verse 24 of chapter 11. Let's jump ahead. Verse, chapter 11, verse 24. Listen to this. We're going to read from 24 all the way to chapter 12, verse 10. Here we go. Verse 25. This is Paul's testimony. Just let me explain this. The reason why we're here as a church is because of this man. The reason why we have the church is because of him submitting to the Lord and him planting churches and reaching a Gentile community. There's very few Jews in this room, I think. I think. Is that, is that statement correct? There's probably not that many in here, right? The reason why the gospel went to the Gentiles was because of him. So we have a church full of people right now because of him because he submitted to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? And he didn't say he did it in his own power. He, he, we know what power he's talking about. But my point is, listen to what Paul went through. This is his testimony. Verse 24 of chapter 11. Five times I received the 40 lashes, minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning, and he didn't have his medical card. You know what I'm saying. It ain't about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. That would have been it for me. <laughs> I'm trying something else. <laughs> this ain't working. 
One lashing, one beating from the Jew, 30 times? I'm like my children. I can't take three licks on the bum. You know what I'm saying? No, no, you're going to get another one if you don't shut up. Stand still. Three is my max. And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, go ahead, spank me with that thing. I'll tell you, it hurts me worse than it hurts you, you know? And you like do the whole thing where you show them that it's not about that. And then you're actually like, dang, that hurts. <laughs> it's like a little pipe or rod that we use. We don't abuse our children. <laughs> They're very well behaved. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, it's a scriptural principle. We could talk about that for an hour, couldn't we? Especially in this day and age. Anyway, the point is, is I don't know what the point is. I lost track of Anyway. <laughs> we'd be good for three licks. We'd be done. This guy went through 30 or 39 lashes three times. They stoned him. They left him for dead, shipwrecked, snake bit. Let's keep reading. On, on frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, without clothing, uh, not to mention other things, daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. I can feel him on this. Who is weak when I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Look, the man went through it. Can we see that? He went through it. Look at verse 12, chapter 12, verse number one. Boasting is necessary. It is not profitable. He shifts focus. He says, I'm not trying to say this to you because I want this out there, because I'm some kind of like awesome dude. But it is necessary for you to hear this, for you to understand that you're not the only one going through something. But I will move on to a vision and revelation of the Lord. This is kind of like really like interesting stuff. He says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Pretty much every scholar believes that Paul is talking about himself. He's referring to himself in the third person because once again, he's not trying to draw attention on who? Himself. And then we're gonna see where it shifts at the end of it, why we know it's him. Verse four, I was caught up into paradise. I heard inexpressible words, which... which uh, a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself. Except of my weaknesses. Don't miss that. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7. Especially because of the, extra, uh, of the extraordinary revelations. Excuse me. Therefore, so I would not exalt myself, see the shift? A thorn in the flesh was given who? To me. A messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, and now we find this famous verse. Now is the context for this famous verse. My grace is sufficient for who? For you. My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my what? Oh, we got this thing all screwed up, don't we? I will boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. I think about the scripture, God gives grace to the what? The 
humble, but he resists the what? The proud. So I take pleasure. <laughs> I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. If I had a list of every Facebook post that was taken out of context for these verses right here, I'd be a rich man. When I'm weak, you're strong. We literally are a culture and a society, a mic and loud, a culture and a society that worships the good things that we do. We only take pictures of the perfect. We only put out there what we want others to think we are. And Paul says it's literally the opposite. If Paul had an Instagram, it would be gruesome. If he had a Facebook, it would be hard to stomach. Because he would say, look at my weakness, look at my failure, look at where I'm not able. These are all incredible things to me. Because he's still making me perfect. I'm literally purging the very thing that my sin creates. And I'm showing how good my God is in my affliction, in my weakness, and in my infirmity. You literally pray for God to remove the very thing that is revealing himself to others around you. Don't we have it backwards? It's hard to confront this text and walk away accepting of it. It's difficult. But once again, this is a clue that our culture is killing Christianity. We're all been out of shape about the people in Afghanistan when in all actuality, the people in Afghanistan that are being killed right now are probably experiencing way more Jesus than we ever have. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for them. I'm not saying that the Lord... We don't pray for grace and mercy and those intangible things that the Lord would give to them. I'm not saying that we don't pray for those, their protection, but I'm saying we need to do it in the right mindset and in the right context. Those people are receiving something that we probably haven't received yet. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You have your Bible because of William Tyndale, a man that had a printing press that decided to translate scripture and, and, and literally his Bible was, he was ripped open and his Bible was put in his own guts, blood on his Bible, strangled to death and then burned alive. Strangled then burned. That's why we have our Bible. Everything we have has been passed down to us because of suffering. And we sit in our places of comfort and we preach about prosperity. How dare we? It's disgusting. That's what it is. We ought to be willing to march into whatever. And we can't even get people to come faithfully to church. I don't even have to give. <laughs> you want me to serve? <laughs> this is rough, isn't it? This is pretty rough. Yeah. At times, I think, Lord, send me to the mission field. Send me to the mission field. But I see a greater mission field here for, for who I am and who I'm called to reach. But there's a difference. We have become so complacent. Think about how Paul, when you, when you choose to run back to your besetting sin, think about how Paul feels. He's looking at you going, and, and you know, maybe we're selling it short, Maybe what you need is some good persecution, is some good resistance, some good suffering. Could it be that we're thinking this thing 
from the opposite end of what we are supposed to be. I just pinned this. I knew it would get this thick in here, so I just wrote this. You ready? Suffering is a reality in our present state. Would you agree? How we endure our reality is a key component to being Christ-like. Paul did not overemphasize his successes as a proof of his being in Christ. This wrecked me this week. I will, I will really consider and focus on the things that I say and post about myself from this point moving forward after reading this text. Paul was very careful. He did his best to remove himself and become the byproduct of the situation that the Lord had placed him in rather than the object of the situation. We constantly want to be the object rather than the byproduct. The object is Christ. We are the byproduct of that. And Paul made that clear. We err when we make ourselves the object of the plan rather than the church, the plan that we are a part of. That is why we are called to gather as a body so that it's not about one what? It's not about one what? Person. We are the what? Body. That's why it's important for us to honor that and show up because we are a part of a whole, not what? Singular. This is what Paul is trying to say to this church. You have to be reconciled to God, not singularly, but focused on what? The body of Christ. The Lord is focused on the Lord. The Lord is focused on each of us as individuals. But we in our current state must not focus on ourselves. It should be enough that the Lord is consumed with us and that he has gone through extreme lengths to bring us into the family. However, when we reflect on the nature of our salvation, we must drive our focus to the whole of the body of Christ and where the Lord's plan for us individually fits into the collective narrative. When we achieve this mindset, Let's be honest right now together. How many know what I'm preaching today is very difficult? Can everybody admit that? Everybody? Okay, this is not an easy thing. And I, listen, we are to bear one another's what? Burdens. This is not for you to never say you're suffering. This is for you to bring your suffering into the body and what? Tell each other. And then we glorify God in our bodies for what he is doing in a jar of clay isolation and I'm not telling anybody the hard things I'm going through. That's the opposite of how you deal with these things. You come to the body and you say I'm hurting and the other parts of the body share with you what's going on with them. That's when reconciliation begins to work. But when we adopt the right mindset towards suffering, not running from it, but enduring it, number one, we will endure hard things for the sake of others. We will endure hard things for the sake of others. Number two, we will be happy and joyful when it seems that we have no reason to be. We will be happy and joyful when it seems that we have no reason to be. This will become our reality if we start to view through the right scriptural lens of what suffering actually is. Number three, we will be overtly humble when others see good from who we are in Christ. This is once again anti-culture. I buy coffee for everyone on Mondays, and I write their names in cursive. <laughs> People don't even use cursive anymore, but I do. <laughs> I do. 
Like we are just conditioned and trained to tell everybody how good we are. If we adopt the proper mindset, Paul is like, I'm not even gonna tell you it was me that, that was in that vision. Somebody I know was in that vision and he was given a thorn in the flesh and he's pretty much blind. Isn't that you, Paul? No. It was him. He doesn't want anybody looking at him like he's something. I just want you to know that if you follow this plan, if you accept the things that you cannot change and allow him to work through it, amazing things are going to happen. But you're so busy telling everybody how amazing you are. The two cannot exist together. They cannot. The Lord resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. Okay. Made more enemies on that one. <laughs> Excuse me. We will be for more concerned with the spiritual nature than the physical every day of the week. I have an exercise. I close with this. This is going to be painful, but it's necessary. The whole message summed up in one exercise. Are you ready? Which scenario is worse? We're going to play a game. Which scenario is worse? Scenario number one. Your child becomes ill, but knows the Lord and has a purpose. Or your child is perfectly healthy, but has nothing to do with the Lord. We we must think about this and react. Which one is worse to you? Which one would you pick? We have to internalize that. If we're more concerned with the outward physical, we're missing the point. We're absolutely missing the point. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at Bethlehemchurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.